Welcome. Glad to have you with us. It's seven minutes after uh, nine o'clock, and it's Powderhorn Guns and Archery in studio. Jared is with us. So is Brian. Uh, Jordan, we're going to have to find him. I don't know where he's at. But it's time for show and tell, and I'm looking at flat, dark earth with a rail and a threaded uh, uh, barrel, and I'm sort of jonesing to find out about this. Uh, it is the first firearm in our show and tell. What's going on here? What do we have? Uh, it looks like we got the FN-45 Tactical. It's uh, just a great, great handgun. I mean, it, it shoots great. It uh, man, it, it you know, and they make it in forty-five ACP. You can't really go wrong with it. I mean, FN's always made a good gun. Yeah, uh, probably most famous for that five-seven. But um, it, it, now, have you guys shot this gun? Is anybody? Uh... I, I have shot one of them. Uh, not this gun, but I, I've shot one of them, and it is a great gun. Uh, tell me about the trigger. How do you like the trigger? Uh, the trigger, I mean, it's it's a little, little uh, stiff, a little bit heavier, but you know, for something that you're you're going to be carrying, it, it's definitely going to be uh, what you need. <laughs> definitely going to be what you need. Okay, that works for me. As FNs go, though, it it probably has a better trigger than a lot of other FNs. It, this one I find to be pretty shootable. Uh, it's it's pleasurable in your hand. Uh, you know, it's a full frame full-size handgun, uh, but I think you're going to find it to be pleasurable to shoot. Is this used? It is. It is. Yep. Yeah. And it has the uh, the threaded barrel, the uh, high-rise suppressor sight, so it's suppressor-ready. Uh, for some people, that's a big deal. For others, uh, it just gives you really, really big sights that you can focus on and uh, acquire that front sight that much faster. Really, really big sights. <laughs> yes. Who doesn't like really, really big sights? Uh, what's the price break on this? This one is at nine twenty-five. Nine twenty-five. Yep. Wow. <laughs> For double stack, it's a it's a whole lot of handgun. Wow, that is neat. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Yeah, Gerson, tell me about this. Okay, uh, the Gerson. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's going to be a. Um, 2011 style handgun. Uh, it's going to be great for for uh, the kind of person that wants to get into the John Wick style of kind of guns. You know, double stacked. Uh, got a red dot on top of it already. Um, just a really great gun. Gun holds 17 rounds. I own one of them myself, and I take it out during two gun competitions and love to shoot it. Low recoil. I mean, it it's chambered in nine millimeters so you know you got a little more capacity to it um wheel guns who doesn't love a good revolver um you've got a ruger here it's a 44 magnum oh yeah yeah that is really pretty yeah yeah super blackhawk amazing stuff double action just super redhawk excuse me just really really nice 44 mag revolver uh you know, these are these are a good hunting gun. They're a great personal defense fence gun. A little bit of extra horsepower, but uh, you know, very very functional. You can't beat a Ruger. They they're just they are just a joy to shoot. Yeah, I love the furniture. I love the uh, the grips on this. And you don't see that that walnut hardware very often anymore. It's it's really pretty. You know, there's. I understand uh, why they've gone to these plastic grips that look like they're made out of wood. 
But they don't feel the same to me. They don't, and you know, I get why they do it. Uh, they can they can stifle those plastic grips and and give them a little bit more, I don't know, traction, uh, and and make them a little bit easier to get a good grip on. But there's just something lost when you move away from that Missouri hardwood. I mean, the the, the walnut furniture is is beautiful. It, it really is, and and no two of them are the same. So each one is is its own unique kind of a look, appearance, and feel. Uh, I miss it. I miss it in handguns, and I really, really miss it in, in our long guns. Our, our classic bolt rifles, we really, really have, have gone away from the beauty of sporting arms in particular. Uh, that, was, that was a big thing back when I was young, is you, know, you got this beautiful rifle, and it's hand-rubbed with the true oil finish, and it just brought out all of the nuance of that of that wood, and we've departed from it. And I, I really, I wish it would come back. It's starting to take a, a little bit more of a comeback. You know, ward, wood's warm, plastic's kind of cold. And it, you know, it it is what it is on plastic. I mean, it, it has its place. You know, if you're going out, you know, elk hunting, would I rather have a plastic gun because I'm probably going to be beating it up and and you know just abusing it. You know, but I, you know, I like my my barbecue guns at the same time, and that's really what what that uh, Red Hawk is is a a barbecue gun. You it pull is definitely that. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. It is a barbecue gun. This is very very nice. I don't think it's all about uh, the grip capacity of plastic versus wood. Uh, plastic grips, you can punch those things out uh, for pennies a piece. Uh, the wood, on the other hand, I think is going to be much more expensive. I think it, it makes it it makes the firearm more affordable for us. It is, but I think that's the I think that's the main driver uh, of uh, of plastic. It but, is clearly cheaper to manufacture, uh, but they're I think they're missing the boat in a lot of ways because the the wood stocks are are just exquisitely beautiful. Yeah, I, I have a hard time understanding how the plastic <laughs> is going to become a collector's item. Uh, and uh, it, it's just maybe my own personal opinion. I just, I like the lumber. Uh, feels right, looks right. Feels like every everyone with a real wood stock or whatever grip um, feels like it's a collectible to me. Let's move on because uh, pocket pistols, uh, you've got one here, a 32 Auto Beretta. Really great price break for Beretta. Uh, at four twenty, four nineteen, and change. Oh yeah, they and they they're just great pistol. Uh, Thirty two ACP. They make it in other calibers too. Uh, Twenty two. Uh, what what I like about these is it's a great pocket pistol. It's single action or double action, whichever which way you, you want to uh, put it. It's got a thumb safety, but the nice thing about it is it's got a flip up barrel to where you can load the first round. So anybody that has uh, hand strength problems where they can't rack a slide on a normal gun, these are great for them to be able to flip open, load the first round, close the top of the barrel back down, and it's and it's ready to rock. You know, you can carry it all day long. You know, it's not so heavy that, that and uncomfortable that you're going to notice it. I mean, it's just, I mean, the size of your hand, really. I mean. But it, it, has, it has enough heft that it's easy to shoot. Yes, yes. And my wife has this. Uh, a problem racking these firearms, and she's got one of these. Mm -hmm. um, 
she, you know, we load the magazine, she pops the barrel, drops one in, and she's good to go. Uh, so you're right. If somebody has, a, you know, a, a hand strength problem, this is a way to go. This is a great alternative. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, and if that's what it takes to get a gun in your hand to be able to be, be able to be armed, by all means, I am not going to discredit anybody in this world for not being able to rack a, a slide on a 45 ACP gun or be able to, you know, function uh, some of them guns, you know, where this one's just super easy to uh, function. I mean, you load it, you put the magazine in it, and she's ready to go. I will tell you, too, that she shoots really well with this thing. She She's uh, really pleased with the accuracy. Yeah, they are. They're very accurate. Beretta makes a good quality uh, pistol. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, there's other brands out there that kind of copycatted off of it and, and did it, but, you know, Beretta did it right. Yeah. So if uh, if you've got a, a hand strength problem, that's the way to go. We're not done. Oh, nay, nay, Perlene. We, we've got more. <laughs> But we're up against the clock and have to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Powderhorn Guns and Archery. Jared and Brian in the studio. They brought all kinds of firearms for show and tell. I'm Gary on Guns. It is 20 minutes after 9 o'clock. It is Gary on Guns. I am pleased to tell you that Jared and Brian are in from Powderhorn Guns and Archery. And we've been talking about show and tell and firearms that uh, they brought into the studio. And uh, maybe we ought to tell the folks uh, where they can find Powderhorn Guns and Archery. 1915 Paris Road, Suite 103. And uh, it's uh, really looks nice in there. The last time I was in there, uh, I was kind of impressed. I, I remember going in there years ago, and it, it just it's changed quite a bit. We've done some remodeling lately and, and uh, kind of changed the shape of the store a little bit uh, from years past. Uh, we, we are all, always moving things around to showcase this product or that. Right now we have a, a pretty nice showcase on our Stoger shotguns. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that we're, we're pushing them out the door, but we are motivated sellers. And so we've put them on display and, and have them kind of in the forefront. That'll probably shift over to a turkey hunting theme in the, in the next couple of weeks and in preparation for that season that's upcoming. Uh, yeah, my, my producer gets a little nervous uh, whenever it's turkey hunting season. <laughs> for good reason. Brian, yeah, yeah. Uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, and, and then the, the other news is in, in the archery side of things, which uh, on, on a gun show it's hard to talk about archery, but uh, we just concluded a trip yesterday to the Archery Trade Association show where we saw a lot of new upcoming products and are really excited for this year's archery season. It, it ought to be a great one um, because there's a lot of neat stuff out there. And uh, we got to see yesterday in, in St. Louis the, the up-and-coming things and talk to all of our reps and see all of our old friends from the industry. So it was a, it was a really good day. I'm excited about that. Well, the archery thing, uh, you know, people who hunt uh, often, you know, that's uh, that's what they hunt with. Uh, and you guys are it. Uh, you've got you guys restring uh, these uh, these uh, bows, and and you have compound bows. You've got a, a place where they can shoot in the, in the building. We are fortunate not? enough to have a, a really nice range, indoor range for archery. Uh, our standard range range distance is twenty yards. We can stretch out to thirty yards, uh, kind of if there's nobody in the store, uh, because it, it our firing line is really intended to be at twenty. And uh, that's good enough for most indoor shooting. And, you know, the service side is a huge component of our business. We do an awful lot of archery service from the, the very basic, like putting in a new, new D-loop or tying in a new peep to a full string removal and replacement. 
tuning services. Uh, it's, it's kind of a the full one stop shop uh, for archery, and and we're we're really fortunate to have all the equipment that we do, so we can we can service most everybody's needs. So this uh, event that you went to in St. Louis is it kind of like the shot show for guns? It is. It's the shot show for archery, and it always is a week or so before shot. And uh, I am planning on trying to go to shot. Uh, still in the works, working on the registration and the the hotel details and all of that. So I would love to go to shot, but we go to ATA every year, and ATA is it's a it's just a phenomenal event because everybody in the archery industry all comes together under one roof and it it takes a big place to house them all so it's usually in louisville uh nashville or uh or indiana indiana indianapolis indiana is where it's the normal home this year they hosted it fortunately in st louis so it was just a quick drive what kind of innovations are there in in uh in bows i mean it it, it seems uh pretty cut and dry to me but you would apparently think, you would think so but there's a lot of innovation particularly in compound bows uh, they the manufacturers are trying to produce uh, archery equipment that is as easy to shoot as possible and still provide the, as much terminal ballistics as, as they can get out of a bow and there's a limit to how much how much pounds of, of pressure a person can pull back so one of the things that they do is in a compound bow is is they modify the cam engineering and designs, the the way the cable systems work, to create archery equipment that might draw seventy pounds, but you're only holding nine to eleven pounds at full draw, and that's through through their cam systems and their their engineering. That's usually what the enhancements are: is some new cam that Bowtech or Hoyt will manufacture you know, their engineers come up with this and it changes the game i shouldn't be surprised i mean we see it in handguns all the time where they uh they'll come up with a way to make a double stack out of a firearm or get more rounds uh in the same amount of space uh, i don't know how they do it but they do so i guess i shouldn't be surprised it, that they do that with archery it is the same type of innovation archery might even be more so because there's so many moving parts and and there's so much adjustability to archery equipment. Now, you buy a 9mm handgun, it's a 9mm handgun from the day it's born till forever. Where with a compound bow, they can be adjustable from a 15-pound draw in some cases all the way up to a 75-pound draw in one piece of equipment. So it's something that can really grow with a young person. So you start your kid out on a bow that he can only draw maybe 20 pounds. Well, that same bow will get him all the way through high school. Well, uh, what about the projectile? Does the arrow, do they do much in the way of... Uh, oh, it, it, it changes by the year. I mean, uh, different styles, different uh, ways they, they, they make them. I mean, uh, four-blade, two-blade, uh, five-blade. I mean, they, they go all out. Uh, and, and mechanical to fixed blades. I mean, it's just in unreal. My, in my <laughs> lifetime, I've seen evolution from where the standard was cedar shafts that were shot from a recurve or a longbow to the invention and phase out of aluminum shafts now most everything is a, is a carbon uh, so a carbon fiber arrow shaft of various diameters and one of the the new big bad things is a aluminum shaft that is wrapped around a carbon fiber shaft yeah. so there's constant innovation and 
man, the new stuff is it's just unbelievable how strong it is. It'll overwhelm you sometimes if you're not ready for it. So, it, you know, with uh, in the firearms industry, we'll find out that uh, uh, 45 is the hot round and uh, 50 caliber is the hot round. And, uh, you know, it, it, they, they're constantly uh, changing the hot round. And I'm guessing now then that that's probably true with uh, archery. It sure is. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's the new bigger, better batter that comes out every year, and uh, for the most part, it is bigger, better, better. It, it's oftentimes worth the investment, uh, particularly if you have archery equipment that's a couple years old. It's definitely worth taking a look at the new equipment because it has changed, it has evolved, and it has improved. Um, sometimes there is a cost differential that sets that off because uh, some of the new equipment is pretty expensive compared to yesterday's equipment. But you know, that, that innovation and that technology, it comes at a cost. So most people accept the fact that a new archery setup is going to be an investment, and it's going to get them by for several years. I mean, a lot of people change every two or three years, but a new bow sold today will function fine for the next 20 years if well taken care of. Well, so will the firearm, and we got more. We're, we're still in the middle of show and tell uh, and you brought in my weakness. Thank you very much. Uh, but it's in nine millimeter. It is. It oh. is a fusion firearms. So the original uh, president of Dan Wesson, when Dan Wesson finally uh, got bought out and went to owned by CZ, uh, he Bob Server is I think is his last name. If I can be correct. Uh, decided to start up his own company. He started doing, you know, custom parts for 1911s and custom lowers and everything like that. Well, he's seen a niche uh, where he wanted to uh, build a full line of 1911 handguns. So I would say it, it's kind of a Kimber, but on another level than a Kimber. It's, it's better than a Kimber. It's got a better trigger in it. The slide fitment is just phenomenal. He makes it in, in various uh, calibers, uh, various sizes. Uh, you can go from mild to wild on, on what he wants. You can actually go to their website and custom order one the way you want it, the trigger that you want, the hammer that you want, everything. They are just a good slide fitment, great trigger on them. And the wood on it is beautiful. That Coca-Cola wood, it's just pretty. It pops at you. And these are going to be available uh, at uh, Powderhorn Guns and Archery a uh, little bit after 10 o'clock. And, and now, uh, by the way, very quickly, uh, on the newer f uh, firearms, I assume you have more than just the one in stock. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got a few. We got a few. All right. <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> um, Non-gun homicide rates uh, outstrip uh, here in the United States most European nations. We apparently are just a very violent country. It's not just guns. We're going to talk about that in the next segment on Gary on Guns. Welcome. It's uh, 935. Glad to have you with us. It is Gary on Guns. Potterhorn Guns and Archery in the studio. Jared and Brian are here. <clears throat> we are always being compared by the, with the anti-gun people with Europe. And uh, it's never really an accurate uh, uh, correlation uh, because our population is much bigger than, say, Great Britain, but they'll they'll try to compare them. Uh, it doesn't work. You have to you have to compare practically the all of Europe to the United States 
so you have the right numbers. But unmistakably and undeniably, we are a pretty violent country. It's it's really, uh, I hadn't thought about this, but our non-gun homicide rate outstrips most European nations' total homicide rate. In fact, uh, high-income nations have a total homicide rate of 0.8% compared to a non-gun homicide rate of twice that. We seem to be more willing to kill each other than other countries. I don't know why. I really, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't, and, and, and clearly this is not guns. This is just overall, we kill each other more than, well, you know, most of the civilized world. I, I wish I had an answer for you, Gary. I don't know, I but I, I don't discredit what you're saying because I think you're 100% accurate. I believe we are a violent society. Uh, I think it depends a little bit on where you're looking as to the the incidence of violence because out in the in the countryside of, of northern Missouri you don't see very much violence out in the out in the sticks in the farm country but in our more urban areas we do and, uh, and back to talking what you were talking about earlier uh, it seems like the most I don't know gun control that environments so chicago for example some of the the most strict gun laws in the country the most restrictive for gun ownership personal defense those areas seem to be the most violent um and i suspect that a citizen in in chicago is much more concerned about their personal safety than a citizen in kirksville <laughs> uh, yeah, I would argue that cases. I think you made that one right. But for some reason, we're just we're more likely to kick each other to death, beat each other to death, shoot each other. Uh and I'm wondering if there's something in our history, is it uh something political? Uh, you know, uh, and I tried comparing, you know, we have a war on drugs that uh, exacerbates this. But other countries have the same war on drugs. Um, we've got a welfare state. Other countries have welfare states. I don't know what the difference is. I don't understand why we're more prone to that, uh, you know, to that end to kill each other than Europeans are. I. I does Jared? Do you want to take a stab at it? Do you have any clue what the, what this is about? Uh, I it kind of I'm not for sure on that one. I mean, there could be all kinds of deciding factors on that. Um, could be how our society is ran compared to some other countries. You know, censorship on what things do in other countries. You know, I mean, it, there's could be a, a, quite a few things that that are the deciding factor on. I I cannot imagine what would make the difference. Anybody listening that might have a clue, that might have an idea, that just wants to theorize, pick up the phone and give me a call. 800-529-5572 or 874-9390 if you're local. Or go to GaryNolan.com and uh, and send me your, 
your ideas. Because everything I can think of just doesn't apply. It just, it seems like there's a, a Wild West mentality here that, that doesn't seem to exist in, that many, in, in, in as many numbers as, say, Great Britain or France or Germany. So it's, it's odd. You would think in a country where we're free, uh, relatively speaking, and, and I would argue we're freer in this country than just about any other country in the world. Just about anywhere, yep. Um, we're free to defend ourselves for the most part. Uh, we have freedom of travel. We've got a free market. We can buy just about anything we want to buy. I don't understand it. I am totally, 100% baffled by it. So if you've got some idea, if you can think of something, give me a call. Uh, because I, I would really love uh, to hear some ideas. Sometimes, you know, just you go to the masses and somebody will point something out and, and it'll go like, bing, oh, that makes sense. Well, I hope uh, that light bulb comes on because I would sure like to know personally what causes our society to be so angry and violent. Uh, it, 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 talk about something that the think tank should be putting in their think tank and thinking up because we need to find out what is the cause and what is the solution. Yeah. I know what's not the solution, but I don't know what the solution is. I don't know. Mass shootings, mental health, and trans ideology. We have uh, a second uh, transgender uh, person who has uh, committed a mass shooting. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, I, and I'm not saying that they're directly related, and neither is the uh, author of the column over at Bearing Arms. But it, there is something in our mental health, um, in the mental health world, that... You know, you see these people that commit these crimes, then you find out they've been seeing a psychiatrist, they've been taking, you know, these antipsychotics, or they've been taking uh, antidepressants, things like that. And um, it, it, it's, it's like the, the medical community doesn't quite have their finger on the pulse here. So I want to kind of kick this around. And, and I'll do this in a minute, but my original question about violence in the United States. Why are we more violent? And we are, and I'm not just talking about guns. I mean, our non-firearm violence is greater than any other country. We, we're, we're beating each other to death. Theories, I haven't heard one that, that makes sense. But if you've got one, give us a call. Uh, we'll kind of kick it around with you and see if it holds water. Jim is doing that, eight, and uh, we invite you to as well. Jim, good morning. Good morning. Why do you think we're so violent here? I think you hit the nail on the head when you said Wild West. If you look at our history, that's, what, 200 years ago-ish, 250? We had the Wild West settling the country, people expanding out. European countries and, and most other countries, they did that a thousand years ago, so they've moved past that mentality a little quicker. Well, not quicker, but they, they've had longer to deal with it and to become uh, quote-unquote civilized, whereas we're still settling the West and the wild, wild West and uh, Indians, uh, cowboys and Indians and, and all that, where 
you had to have your six shooter, but if that wasn't available, then you had to use whatever it was to defend your home and everything else. European countries did that long, long ago. Yeah, but at the same time, Jim, most Americans came from Europe. And the Italians came here, the Irish came here, certainly the British came here. Uh, right. But a lot of them came here, well, not a lot. There were a number of them. I mean, the, the Irish helped settle this country, helped build the railroads. You know, the Chinese helped build the railroads. They were all here during that time when it was pretty lawless and pretty violent. I don't know. Expectations um, of, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't have a good answer. But that could, you know, could be a carryover. theory I came up with. Yeah, could be a carryover. All right, Jim, thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. What do you guys think? Uh, does the carryover argument make sense? That we were taming the Wild West where you had to, you know, kill or be killed. And do you think that somehow is carried over to... 200 years later i think in the in the scope of all things history we are a fairly young country so what jim is uh implying might hold water and the fact that we just are in, in that stage of evolution where we're we're post uh, wild west but we haven't evolved yet to the point where we're uh, a little bit less more friendly and a little less violent i'm not sure but it's as good of a theory as i've heard elsewhere <laughs> well i I don't think I offered one, so... Uh, all right. Anybody else with an idea, give us a call. Uh, I'd love to hear it. We're up against the clock. Got to take a quick break. Powderhorn Guns and Archery. They brought in all kinds of neat firearms for show and tell. Jared and Brian will do a brief recap of those as we wrap up Gary on Guns. It is 9.49 and Powderhorn Guns and Archery on board. We've got Jared and Brian in, and uh, we've, uh, we're going to go over some of the firearms you guys brought in studio, but we're... We're looking to find out why it is that we have such a violent society. Because apparently uh, we kill more people not counting guns. Not counting guns. This is beating them to get to death, uh, stomping on them, uh, stabbing them, whatever. Then, you know, just about anybody else in the world. Uh, and why are we, as a country, more violent? I got a message uh, from GaryNolan.com from Larry and Lawrence, rather. He said, uh, hi, Gary. I think the proliferation of microwave emissions has a lot to do with the violence in America. Uh, I assume he's talking about um, not your microwave oven. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing, um, you know, audio signals, that kind of thing. I, I don't know. Uh, it's well known that microwave radiation can cause mood changes. Uh, food additives, too. Uh, he goes on to say, many things that are allowed in this country are not legal in most other countries. I think all of those are legal in other countries. I don't know for sure, but so I, I, I don't know. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about that in, in the past, you know, as far as it, it being an environmental factor, something that is in our environment that is widespread, that affects everybody, like radio waves, uh, uh, pollution, all of those things that that are just all around us all the time, whether we can see them or not, it might hold some water. I don't know. I, I tend to think that it's more of an emotional thing than something physiological like an environmental effect, but I don't really know. Should, should I be wearing my tinfoil hat? 
perhaps. Make the microwaves bounce off and don't let the Millie Farbles in. Uh, I don't know. Um, it, it's, um, it's entirely possible. Here's a theory that I'd heard years ago. It, 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 although by now you'd think things would have changed. We used to use lead in our gasoline. Yes. Uh, it, uh, it, was, it served as a lubricant for the heads uh, and the valves. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Still do in aviation. Do they? Yep. yep. Well, the, the theory was that um, we had uh, so much lead in the air that it was affecting the brains of uh, people in urban areas. Well, lead is a unique metal in the fact that it does evaporate and uh, become a vapor and, and go airborne. Uh, most metals don't do that, but lead is one that does, and it has a relatively low point in which it, it melts and becomes airborne. Uh, I'm only familiar with that from the, the gold side of things uh, with the pawn stores because we do melt a lot of gold, and lead is the, is the, the, the big evil in the, the gold refining business. If there's any lead present at all, the refiners won't touch it. So when you melt it, does it, it just evaporates? It does, yes. You can melt lead to a liquid state, and, and bullet casters do it. I do it all the time. Uh, but it's very, very temperature sensitive. If you get it too hot, it will go airborne. Absolutely. Wow. So that's the way you could purify gold? Yes, absolutely. By just heating it up enough? There are several ways, but the most common way is to, uh, to get it to a liquid temperature, and then um, they refine it. They refine it from there, but it does melt, and then all of the impurities flux to the top, just like just like lead, and uh, and then you're left with a, a core sample of whatever purity of gold that is. Then to refine the purity of the gold, they usually use nitric acid, and uh, when exposed to nitric acid, the gold kind of becomes like a sponge type material, and then they're able to extract the copper and the manganese and all of the other metals away from it with that uh, in that state and extract pure gold. Boy, the things you learn on a gun show. I'm telling you. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. So is that like if you get a ring, uh, if the ring is solid gold, it would be really soft because gold's soft, so they mix it with other alloys or other metals. Um, and then when you guys are, you know, trying to uh, uh, just get the gold out of it, you have to go through that process? Yes, Yes, we do. Uh, we when we scrap scrap gold or gold that's not retailable for whatever reason, uh, it basically gets thrown into a cauldron. Uh, and there's some ten karat gold, or some eight karat gold, or some twenty two karat gold. There might even be some pure gold, and it all gets melted to a liquid. They flux out the solids or any gemstones or um, other impurities that might be in it, and uh, then they take a core sample of that liquid, and that gives us uh, a purity as an average of that sample. Well, let me let me go down the. Uh, we're going down the rabbit hole here, <laughs> but I am curious. Um, so, what's going on with the price of gold right now? That's pretty crazy right now. It's kind of volatile. Um, you know, we're in that two thousand forty, two thousand fifty neighborhood. I haven't looked at it this morning, but that's what it was yesterday. Let's just pull it up here real quick. Um, what causes it? Twenty forty eight seventy right now at this particular moment. What causes it? It's it's driven by all kinds of things. Um, Twenty thousand eight hundred and seventy dollars a troy ounce. Uh, Two thousand forty eight dollars seventy cents per troy ounce. Twenty uh, twenty anyway. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And all kinds of things drive it. The you can kind of extrapolate it down to the value of the dollar. Is the fluctuations in the value of the dollar is really what I think changes the the gold. 
price at, at any given moment. I yeah, don't, the gold's not worth more. The dollar's just worth less. Exactly. That's a great way to put it. And you can still buy the same amount of Corvettes in gold today as you could in 1950. Wow. Um, all right. This is fascinating. I, I didn't I didn't know that you guys did that, um, but I'm I'm fascinated by it nonetheless. All right, listen. Now we're about to wrap up, Brian. How much time do I have left? About, about two minutes. minutes. All right. Uh, if you've got an idea about why it is that we are a more violent country than others, uh, and this is based on not the number of firearms deaths, no, this is based just on you know beating each other to death and stabbing each other. Uh, why would we be more violent than other countries? By all means, uh, pick up the phone, give us a call, do that very quickly because we're running out of time, or send me a message at GaryNolan.com. Curious to hear your theory. In the meantime, uh, Powderhorn Guns and Archery brought in several firearms this morning, and uh, we'll give you a brief recap because they're going to be available in just a few minutes after 10 o'clock uh, at Powderhorn Guns and Archery. So, uh, Jared, fire away there, Lightning. Let them know what uh, what you brought. I got the Iffen Tactical uh, in 45 ACP. We got the uh, Ruger Red Hawk in 44 Magnum. Also got that Breda uh, 3032 Tomcat and the Fusion Firearms 1911 Riptide. And I am Jonesing after that thing. <laughs> That's that, a great gun. Yeah. You know, and I imagine I've never done that. Every uh, every forty every nineteen eleven I have is uh, forty five ACP. But I imagine if you're firing a nine millimeter out of a firearm like that, uh, it ought to be it ought to be virtually uh, kickless. I mean, it it should be just yes. Uh, I would say it's it's very on on par with. Um, I wouldn't say a twenty two, but it is going to be a significant less amount of recoil. When you're shooting it, the muzzle flip is not going to be there like it would be on a, on a 45 ACP or a 10 uh, 10 millimeter. All right, head on over to Potterhorn Guns and Archery, pick these up. We got to run, guys. Thanks for being with us. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. Seize the day, Carpe Diem, Gwen, baby. I'm coming home.